When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Liverpool Echo Blood Red Big Forum special. Well, that's easy for me to say. I'm the Echo's LFC writer, Theo Squires. I'm your host today. We are live on Facebook, I believe. Um, get your comments in, like, subscribe. I think that's the normal rubbish we say for this sort of stuff, isn't it? It's what the youth for today say. So I'm not sure if that's quite relevant. But uh, joining me today are my delightful colleagues, Paul Worst and Ian Doyle, our chief LFC writer and our Liverpool correspondent. I've got those titles right, in my gentlemen? I should know them by now. Right away, right? Yeah. But yeah, we're live. Say hello to the people. Afternoon. Good evening. And we'll, normally we'll do a big forum. We've got loads of questions to get through, which I'll explain more in detail in a little bit. But first, Liverpool actually signed a player today, Alexis McAllister. Um, price is varying quite a bit depending on reports. So I'll get both your opinions on that first. Firstly, with you, Gorsi, what are the details of this transfer? Yeah, I mean, it's, if you go back to the press conference of the Southampton game, the end club said that he was hopeful of concluding this business within six or seven weeks. Uh, and less than two weeks into that, uh, they will have, have got the man, I mean, probably the prime any transfer target post Duke Bellingham, um, the man who probably amazes a lot of the the, the best midfielders in the Premier League on the past 12 months. Um, of course, he, he's been fantastic in the Brighton side that have recorded their highest ever Premier League finish of, of six. They're going to be in the Europa League next season for the first time in their history. He's just six months off winning a World Cup for Qatar. Uh, sorry, for Argentina in Qatar. And I think he probably did as much as anyone else other than Lionel Messi to, to help Argentina win their first World Cup since 1986. So, yeah, Liverpool have, have moved quickly to secure the deal. We believe it's uh, somewhere between 35 and 45 million, don't we? Um, Liverpool uh, keeping the feet on the rack, shall we say, at the moment. Uh, but credit to Julian Ward, the outgoing sporting director, and Liverpool's recruitment team as a whole, because they've unearthed the, um, the existence of a release clause in his contract and probably got him for maybe rather than half what would be his value in, in this kind of market. So it's um, it's not necessarily a cost-cutting move for Liverpool. There's a, a double lead, somebody firmly wanted at the top of their wish list, but the fact that they're bringing in a 24-year-old Argentinian international World Cup winner for a relatively modest fee means that Liverpool have really got the ducks in a row in this one. And it's um, an exciting transfer to kick off what's going to be a, a busy summer. Now, Doyle, midfield has been the talking point for most of the season. has been a concern. Uh, many fans will have felt that they should have signed someone last year. So the feeling is that better late than never. You were one of the few that did predict it was going to be a difficult season for Liverpool. Yes. Do you reckon it'll make uh, a... I didn't say difficult season. He's certainly going to win anything. Yeah, I thought it would be a season of transition. Right. But I did say it's still finished second. I wasn't expected to finish fifth. And at the time, with the midfielders, I don't want to go over this a million times over, but with that, can, time this you can kind of see why Liverpool did what they did. They just didn't expect all of the... You know, all of the Fears that fans had over the fitness levels of certain midfielders to then all, you know, sadly come true. And we, we know what happened there. But yeah, in terms of getting the business done early, Klopp likes to do that. 
as Ghosty said, in six or seven weeks is the start of, you know, when they come back at the AXA and start looking towards the new season. So, you know, McAllister did an interview with the Liverpool website today. He even said, like, I'm glad that it's all been sorted because I want to get in first thing, mm-hmm. which will probably be for internationals, I think it'll be July the 12th or 13th, won't it? The rest of the, you know, international start on July the 8th, which is Saturday. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the, the middle of the next week that they'll, uh, that they'll then, the rest of them will join. Not quite as early as Burnley. No, they're already back out. Yeah. That's a bit strange. Yeah. Um, um, they got some to go to, to be fair. Um, yeah, with, with McAllister, um, it's an interesting one. I know there's been a bit of talk about the feet and you can certainly see why the, could turn to him if they had knowledge of this release clause. We know that he signed the contract in October, I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, and my personal view is that the reason that no one's really mentioned the fee is because it might upset the Brighton fans a little bit mm. because it's probably a lot lower than the place. The value that he is now, but bring when he signed the contract, he was within seven or eight months of going out of contract and he hadn't actually played in the World Cup and Brighton had a seat, hadn't had the season that they were about to have. So and that's all goes up his value in the in the you know, in terms of perception. But his contract, he's still we're led to believe. Well, it's it, we're led to believe it's thirty five million. But as as Gorsi said, we've seen reports 35, 40, 45. Some are saying as high as fifty five. But the fact that it's not been announced suggests that it's probably quite low. And I think and when, when Bellingham's gone for upwards of uh, if all they had on tap and one hundred and fifty million pounds, you can see why Liverpool and, and Manchester City they they both walked away from that one because it was quite. Quite pricey. So the other thing is that Liverpool now, assuming that they have the money to buy a Bellingham, which we have to assume they would have done, they've now got all that money left over to, you know, to spend on the other players, which is precisely the reason why they perhaps stepped away from Bellingham because they knew they needed more than just a one midfielder. They need two, possibly three. They might need a centre back. So he's not going to be, but McAllister's not going to be the only midfielder Liverpool sign this summer. There'll be one, possibly two more. And, uh, it's been interesting to see what kind of, you know, the profile of the player because McAllister, he's only 24, isn't he? He's a World Cup winner and and, you'll fit that. and he's got three years of Premier League experience, which is another thing that he mentioned in his interview. He said, well, uh, it took me a year to adapt to it, which when you bear in mind, that's what Darwin Nunes has just had. It's just very interesting all around. How much have you both written a World Cup winner in the last few days? Yeah, well, yeah, quite not. Yeah, there's not been many Liverpool players who have done Liverpool's books this the World Cup. I think mm-hmm. who was it? Roger Hunt, Inc. Inc. Allen and Jerry Byrne got medals afterwards for you know, the 1966. joined after the year yeah, yeah. yeah. left before. Yeah, there's like Riedler had, had won it, I think. Uh, yeah, and there's nice lads, yeah. yeah the, the last kind of World Cup winner who the have on the books was Raymond and Ty as well. Raymond, I guess, as he stayed longer. But <clears throat> I think you make an interesting point there, though, about the, the fee and, and about how it can be spread more on, on other transfer targets. I mean, loads of Liverpool fans have been, you know, you know, saluting the kind of recruitment team for the price that he's been brought in at. Whether it's thirty five million or forty five million, either way, it's a, it's a bargain, isn't it? In in this climate, but I don't actually think it matters to supporters whether he's cost thirty five million or whether he's cost seventy million, unless the money that's being saved is then siphoned off to other targets. Um, that has to be the case for Liverpool, I think, because otherwise they're just they're just arguing to save money that will just be replenished for areas that fans don't care about. Essentially, if, if you see what I mean, mm-hmm. they, you know, the saving say say for example, McAllister's market value is sixty million, so Liverpool saving fifteen to 20, 25 million there. 
that has to be used now on another midfielder or a, a centre back or, or whatever else for it to be seen as the kind of brilliant deal that it, it should be. I mean, I, 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 I will be, again, we're just guessing, but I would be very surprised if Liverpool didn't do that. And if they did, didn't do that, then you're right. Then then it wouldn't just be the fans who are a bit upset. There'd be lots of questions asked probably by the manager as well. Mm. Well, this is all very lovely because it's going to fit into the questions I'm about to ask you as part of the big forum. I think we've done this before, you see, today. We're just set. Yeah, it's yeah. almost as though you've seen it before yeah. you come in. It's almost a bit earlier, yeah. But yeah, I've been given this big list of questions. Sadly, one of them isn't what is a big forum. So I'm going to have to try and explain what it is. I, be- I believe we've got a questionnaire that's gone out. The, the link should be on the screen. If not, and it's not working swimmingly, it will be in the description. You can click that and basically have your say on pretty much everything. Liverpool is a big talking point at the moment, isn't it, in terms of transfers, management, history of the club, etc., etc. Now, Doyle and Gorsty are going to cover some of these questions now with their own opinions and insights. Um, opinions, then. <laughs> opinions, then. <laughs> and the first one we've touched on already is in terms of recruitment. Now, the question, I think, on the, the forum was, what is the priority position that we need to strengthen? We already know it's midfield. Yeah, they've already made that first move. It's yeah. McAllister. But how many more players after McAllister do you think Liverpool need this summer? I'll go first. I reckon three, two midfielders and a centre-back. Anything else after that depends on who leaves, such as if Kelleher goes to need a goalkeeper. I'm looking at it and thinking, it's not necessarily going to be a numbers game in terms of three outs, so it's going to be three in, because... Let's face it, Navigator barely played last season. Actually, Chamberlain only played slightly more minutes. Arthur Mello didn't kick a ball. So, Liverpool have lost four midfielders, but I don't think they need four. Stefan Bacic is going to move up into the, the first-team setup. Uh, I'd be hesitant to call him like a new sign, because you know that phrase, you know, he's a lot of people, and rightly so. Certainly, after McAllister, there, two, two more midfielders. I'm not... Uh, I'm not as desperate for centre-backs as perhaps. I, 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 I think they'll sign a centre-back. I think they'll get one in. Klopp was asked, it wasn't he, in one of his yeah, later press conferences. Yeah. By the way, it looks as though you are announcing the signing of me and Paul. I quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a throwback to the back of days, isn't it? We did announce them all in one go. There's a midfield player that you know. <laughs> the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, well, next on the list, we've got the uh, sporting director and the impact he's had. Now, this is this weird handover period where mm-hmm. Julian Ward has been quite hands-on with McAllister coming in from what I understand. Uh, but Schmacht is going to get all the praise because he's the one who's come in and got it over the line, so to speak. But yeah, how happy are you to see Liverpool get it done quite quickly in terms of finally sorting out the sporting director? We've touched on it before with it's a short-term deal and everything. Yeah. But it's um, one where... He's got a lot of experience. He expects this to be a start of a successful summer for Liverpool. Yeah, I think it points to the kind of the way the club has run more than the, the individuals in the roles. Um, I was quite critical of the confusion that was going on behind the scenes earlier in the season with Ward handling his resignation. Ian Graham doing similar two big roles in recruitment that need filling, and for months it was just radio silence, wasn't it? And then obviously Will Spearman stepped up to the to become the head of research. Is a little bit of a of uh, an appointment from within, and then your Schmacker, who had, as I guess to say, known a day off six weeks ago, he's come in to replace Julian Ward. But despite the kind of turnover behind the scenes, Liverpool are still very much acting the way they have done in recent years. You know, they've got McAllister over the line, other than two weeks of Premier League season finishing, um, very much 
similar to the way they've been operating in recent times. When you look at the move for Gatco, that was thrashed out of the three days between Christmas Eve and Boxing Day. Fabinho, Jota, you know, these types of deals that went really under the radar and said it was time to announce them. And Liverpool have done similar here, really. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for Schmacker. And it's the biggest role of his career. He's actually come out of retirement to take it. So he probably felt that he couldn't turn it down when Liverpool have come knocking on his door. But um, we understand, don't we, that most of the legwork was done by Julian Ward. So uh, perhaps, you know, one final feather in his cap before he leaves. And now it's up to Schmacker to um, pick up the baton. Anything to add? Well, you're quite happy with Gusty covering it there. I think it's it's, it's fair to say this is a Ward-sided, certainly, yes. as Gusty said. Yeah. So I don't think Schmacker even would even begin to, to claim any of the uh, credit for this you one. You went right. I don't know. Well, but... The next couple of signings will primarily, you would think, it be on him to you know get over the line, whether it's through negotiations or even spotting a player. Although I suspect that if Liverpool start to change sights or unearthing players at this time of the you know so late until just yeah. before the transfer or something's gone wrong, they'll they'll have their list. We know they've got their list. They'll be working through it and deciding what's what, and then that's where Schmacker will come into his own because we know that he's very good at negotiating and. And finding players who, who we can extract best value from, which is exactly what FSG like. Although there were suggestions when he was appointed that it helped with the, the German market, and we have seen plenty of links with players in Bundesliga like Graven Birch, Kyrene, I think his son's apparently yeah. been yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So maybe that, that's one to watch there. But from recruitment in the months ahead, the weeks ahead, to recruitment last season, this is the next question on the list. How do you live with? Seamless. How would you rate Liverpool's recruitment from last year? Because I see it as one of two ways, isn't it? Last yeah. summer hasn't aged well, but revamping the attack, they've actually done that really well over the past 18 months. Yeah, it depends if your glass is half full or half empty, does it? I think Liverpool coming off the back of last season when you went so close to winning four trophies and it seemed like you know no one could do any wrong. It was just about having pieces here and there. It wasn't it? Fabio Carvalho came in as a, as a young player with loads of potential. He probably wasn't expected to um, play probably as much as you've been, really, given the, the drop-off that we've seen elsewhere. Darwin Nunes coming into an attack, but it's just lost Sadio Mane. And Calvin Ramsey, he as a young right-back just to play kind of cup games, and, and even he's been snaked bit by injuries, hasn't he? So, I mean, a year on, big potential on Nunes. And it's going to be a big season for him. Carvalho yet to work out, but still low with the time on his side and Ramsey. Not too concerned about long term. I'm sure he will show that he's a, a decent player going forward for the cup game. So, um, are, are we are we rating it out of out of ten? Yeah, I think on the forum it's rating it out of a hundred, but that just seems a bit strange. Yeah, yeah, for some of these questions. So, yeah. I'll let you do it out of ten. Six. You go in six. What about you, Doily? Well, of course, the big thing is that I don't think anyone was that particularly worried about the three players that they did say. It's about the one player they didn't, which was a midfielder, mm-hmm. which you know, in retrospect even though at the time, as I said before, I can understand why they did it. Uh, obviously, it was a mistake, although, well, it was a mistake, wasn't it? They basically waited for, they, they only had players that they wanted. They wanted Trumaney, you tried to go elsewhere, so they quite clearly thought we can get a very good chance of getting Bellingham and they didn't get in. So, uh, probably six as well. But it's very hard to, to, to say because, as Gorsi just mentioned, Rams has hardly played, Caballo's hardly played. And um, and did Cosay and Nunes, I think we'll get a better judgment on him next season. 
Yes, don't forget that there was also the sign of January Gakpo. Yeah. So you can't just say last summer Gakpo was a very good sign. Yeah, I mean, the last three, three wins, that was yeah. cool signed Luis Diaz, Cody Gakpo and Alan Nunes. And they're going to be three vital cogs of that attack for the next five years or so, aren't they? Mm. It was the virtually impossible job, wasn't it? Replacing Firmino, replacing Mane. And here we are. It's, it's not really a concern for Liverpool. It's just how would you have looked at it two months ago? Nunes was still playing, still scoring two months ago. But then Gatho hit the ground running recently without the rumours, stronger than rumours, that Carvalho is going to go in the summer. Um, we will stick with Nunes. The question we got down is, do you think he'll eventually come good at Anfield? And I think that's a little bit harsh. I think he has already come good. So really the question should be, will he get even better? Yeah, I mean, 15 goals. It's another one where it depends on, entirely on, on your viewpoint, doesn't it? Because he scored 15 goals in his debut season at Liverpool, which is a more than respectable return. Liverpool's second top scorer. Um but then there are elements to his game that clearly need work. Um, if, if he if he takes a few more of those chances that he gets, because he seems to get two or three chances every game, if he takes a few more of those, a little bit more clinical and ruthless with his finishing, he's going to be a little bit, a bit of a goal machine, isn't he? Um, don't necessarily think he's going to be first choice next season, which may be a problem in itself, given that he's rather... Most expensive players ever at Liverpool. But I think it might be a horses for courses approach. Whether it's going to be Gakko through the middle, Jossa through the middle, Nunes with some spacing behind the back line. Um view them isolation that I can see why people are a little bit concerned. But ultimately as, as part of the five month forward line next season, I think it's going to be a really exciting option. Big game player though. Mm-hmm. You know, great score two against United, scored up at Newcastle, no, scored at Leeds, scored at Arsenal. Yeah, these are away grounds where most players, you know, some, some of them just never score at these stadiums and he's just come in and done that. I think Gorsi's right. If he can just take, even if he takes, you know, against Aston Villa away and Man City away, yeah. or in, that was in fact the same week, wasn't it? Kind of just or, after Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just after, he must have had about eight or nine chances where he was not quite clean through on goal, but he had a very good chance. Didn't take them. And if he takes half of them, he's on 20 goals. And then suddenly no one's thinking, you know, no one's got, yeah. there's still not that many players in the, Premier League players last season who scored more goals than it. I think I'd can't remember the top of my head now, but I mean, you think he was like fourth or fifth at one point, but you know, he obviously got the injury towards the end and he didn't really play that much. That's my only concern would be that in that run of 11 games, will Liverpool unbeat and he hardly started any of them. And I think that would be a slight worry because quite clearly he's not quite technically there yet. And I think that might be partly down to his command of English, which isn't the best from what we're led to believe. So if he can improve that, He's had another year in England that we still at Benfica that after a bit of a wobbly first season, he, he, he kind of hit the ground running after that. Liverpool will hope that as well. But again, it will be depend on where he plays. I suspect he'll be on the left wing most of the time. Yeah. There was a game, the game against Funnel was an incessant one because I don't think I've ever seen a player work so hard or be so off the pace in terms of the quality. Uh, then he still won the penalty, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, that's the he, thing. He, he also had shot at all, but every time he got it, it was a heavy touch or you know, whatever it was. And the crowd were desperate to get behind them. You know, we were doing throw-ins and the crowd were chatting his name. Um, <laughs> we, we've had conversations back there, didn't we? The return for him to succeed, and I, and I think he's got a record a few times of saying second season is where he tends to, you know, really hit the goal trail. So, yeah, I can understand some some apprehension around them, but I think, you know, he's a really exciting player. Now, moving on to Liverpool's overall season, Salah was quite emphatic. It was a failure. 
think when any major silverware didn't qualify for the Champions League, didn't bother dressing it up. Really. <laughs> Are you a bit more forgiving with that sentiment, or like, how do you rate the overall season? Well, as I said before, I didn't expect them to win anything, but I didn't expect them to not finish in the top four, so it's a failure. However, <clears throat> we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, Liverpool only lost two of the last 18 Premier League games. Three times they lost back to back Premier League games, which is very unusual on the clock. And if they draw those three, or three of those games, or just win one of them, then suddenly there, there would be a point nearer to Newcastle. And you're looking at the last couple of games, they wouldn't have been. Because I know they drew the last two games against Villa and against Newcastle, uh, against Southampton. But I'm pretty sure if they needed to win, they would have won them both. And so. It's just, you know, small margins as it always tends to be with Liverpool. And I think that, you know, they just never really, they, they left themselves too much to do because the first half of the season. So from that point of view, is a failure because, because of the way that it ended up. But it's a qualified failure in the sense that you can see there's lots of things that have started to you know, come right and they just didn't do it in a you know, quick field. Yeah. I look at a team who went on meeting in 11 games. For the end of the season, they won nine and that the yeah. uh, fact that they still finished outside the top four shows you where they went wrong during the season. Um, I think it was seven wins actually, seven wins and four draws out because they drew against Chelsea and they started. Oh, Chelsea, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think you can you can dress it up any other way. The fact that Liverpool went from getting 92 Premier League points and finishing a point off the champions to dropping out to their lowest. Finished since 2016. I don't think you can call that anything other than, than a failure, really. If, if we're just, if it's black or white, failure or success, it's a failure. Are you written out of 100? You, you can do if you want. I think we're sticking with 10s, but I would say four for the first half and seven for the second half. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, Which means 5.5. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the period was a killer, wasn't it, for the And he lost to the Wolves, Brighton. Brentford. There was so much positivity and optimism after the break when they'd done the mid-season camp. You're thinking we've got players back from injury, can push on now. And then they got injured. Got yeah. <laughs> Diaz got injured. Yeah, and Van Dijk got injured. And then he suddenly realised the World Cup players were a bit tired. Yeah, I think Van Dijk's absence for January has been massively overlooked. Mm. I think to the extent you yesterday denied if he was fit for that January, Liverpool would have lost 3-0 at Wolves, 3-0 at Brighton. Um, and had they not gone off for half-time with Brentford, Possibly forced the way back into the game, I don't know, but you know, it's all it's in books, but that was certainly an injury that hurt Liverpool. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, one of the positives this season was the academy players of the younger players. Look at Curtis Jones has finished the season, Pesetic before he got injured. Now, the question we've got down, which I think it's a bit awkwardly worded is would you mind Chris on the person like before would you mind if academy players found it harder to get a chance in the first team next season due to Liverpool signing more players now you're both academy regulars you've seen the likes of Ben Doak shine at youth level this year and there's been a few more like that so yeah do you want them to not play for the first team because Liverpool have signed an extra three or four players let's have a more sensible variation of that question of course that, that, no why would you want that then you can get Academy players through, and if they're good enough, then you play it. Then obviously it's, it's saved them a lot of money, and of course they have a, a lot. A lot of players who come through the academy have a, a kind of a stronger lead to the club, so we don't necessarily have to be homegrown. Like they could just come through from like 16, 17, 18. Look at Harvey Elliott. Okay, admittedly he's a massive Liverpool fan, and he didn't come through the academy, so not a very good example. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, is that yeah? If they spent a lot more time developing away from the first team, they're going to appreciate it. Certainly at the beginning bit a lot more than, say, a signing that's coming in. And 
if they've got the talent, then got shown a million times over that you'll give them a chance if they're good enough, then they stay in the team. Yeah, one of my, one of my favourite aspects of last season was watching Liverpool in the UEFA Youth League. Um, ben Dolkin, a bit like Naples, who's a bit awkward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ben Dolkin, Oakley Cannoneer and uh, Trent Cornet, that was the, uh, just, just an exciting, fearless young team that, that just went for it. And every game they're involved in, wasn't an exciting one, wasn't it? We were there in the Battle of Ajax at the mm. Kirby, and then we were there at... Was it St. Johnson's ground? Uh, uh, party. Party of Thistle, yeah, yeah. In, in Glasgow. That was another great game. Yeah, well, they were good. Um, it's not the fourth, was it 4-3? Fourth yeah, 4-3. Fourth fourth three, 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 yeah, it's yeah. 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 um, And Ben Doak was the outstanding performer in pretty much all of those games. It, it almost became, when you're writing your analysis piece, you know you're going to do something on Doak because he's always making something happen. So you kind of set that aside as, as one of your points and you watch him more. Closely, and I'd, I'd love to see him play a little bit more next season. I think come on against Miller in the unboxing day, and he showed Luca Dean them clean pair of heels, and he just did step over in the touch line. And it's just so fearless for such a young player. And that's what that's, I'd say that's one thing they can take advantage of the Europa League, yeah, yeah, yeah. because they can give you know the and less so in the knockout stages, but in the group stage, kind of imagine they're going to be paired against the strongest of opposition, so it is an opportunity for some of those players to. To get minutes, the only so, problem for him is plays with most other players. He's probably not so. What are they just? Yeah, he'll probably look at ahead. Think yeah. five years that'll be my spot. He's probably wanting to play in you know the next twelve to eighteen months, isn't he? So we might have to find a new string to his bow, maybe off the left. I know. Also, Salah will be quite keen to play in the Europa League. Exactly. Sorry about a fifteen-year-old group. So well, it's a bit awkward for I think Doke in the Europa League anyway because he's not actually been at the club long enough to be on the list. B. So oh, to, here he goes. You'd have to be, you'd have to be registered properly. <laughs> so you have to be careful because you're an FSU apologist. You talk about. But yeah, he'd have to be registered properly in their squad. So that's all dependent on what they do transfer-wise. If they actually get the space to free him up, um, there's no way I can make this next transition seamless. It's a very big question. How do you view FSG's ownership of Liverpool overall? Now, fans are obviously going to be on a FSG apologist. Can see that. Okay, you say those, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but there's obviously going to be very differing views on this from the, the supporters. Like they haven't signed the midfielder last summer. They've not Jude Bellingham. They've not gone and rivaled City or Newcastle, or Real Madrid, PSG, and transfer wise. But they are the owners that march what they're here that when yeah. they won the Premier League, when they won the Champions League. How do you view this overall? I suppose we should do stadium as well. They're seeing as they've got a, a stand that's being rebuilt at the moment. But yeah, how do you view the overall ownership? Big picture, I think Liverpool are quite fortunate to have the ownership group that they, that they do have. Um, you look at what they've done since 2010, obviously brought in Jurgen Klopp on the football side of things, which is set in motion the, the framework for everything that's followed, but also the kind of football operations seen behind the scenes, which is second to on really. And obviously Michael Edwards was a big part of that, who was another kind of FSG appointment, wasn't he, uh, off the pitch. Two hundred and fifty million pounds worth of infrastructure in the access train, etc. The main stand and the Anfield Road. Um, just, just as we come to recall, we've just had the news that Liverpool have actually repurchased Melbourne Avenue for thirteen million pounds, which will delight people who were devastated to see Liverpool kind of disassociate from that famous base. Won every trophy that is to win, um, or every top level trophy that is to win during the, the tenure. Obviously, the Premier League, Champions League. Club World Cup, which is the first ever one in Liverpool's history. So 
I think big picture, they, they have to be considered as good custodians. They've made mistakes along the way, of course. They have the, the trademark situation, the, the, the furloughed scheme that was quickly reversed, um, the Super League debacle, the ticket prices. So there have been missteps along the way, but they've always been quick to accept that, you know, they haven't kind of read the room properly there and you turned on them. So generally, you have to consider them as, as good owners. Um, I think when you start getting bogged down in the minutiae of not spending in certain transfer windows here or there, that is when you can sort of open them up to a little bit of criticism, but there's no divine right for the bill to be winning absolutely everything to go into. That's obviously the, the plan, but other teams are trying to do exactly the same, so sometimes it just doesn't work, does it? But I think at certain times, we probably could have been a little bit more... Um, or less parsimonious, shall we say, though? Great word. Yeah, great word. Loosen the first thing a bit more. But ultimately, overall, I'd, I'd uh, say that they have been more good than, than bad. When you look at the ownerships across the, the top end of the Premier League at the moment, there's a lot of ill feeling towards Daniel Levy at Spurs. United are in the process of a takeover. Um, City, I suppose, are untouchable considering they're in such a good state. The last couple of years, Newcastle have been takeover, taken over. There's been a failed bid for Arsenal. We've seen how Chelsea hasn't quite gone to plan yet. At least with FSG, there is some stability there. But they've been a big part of the club. Well, they've, they've been there for 13 years. Yeah, they've done you so much on off. If, you, if you're somewhere for 13 years, you're not going to get through 13 years without making any mistakes. So I think we have to bear that in mind. And they have kind of learned from them. I think what's interesting for me is that I agree with everything that Paul just said. I said, however, there is that kind of acknowledgement from FSG themselves in the past 10 months, nine months, I think it is, that They've probably taken them as far as, as they can under this model, and they need some outside investment. So, of course, what they've what they've done is they've kind of uh, so the expectations of, of people who believe that Liverpool need more investment, they have kind of hinted that oh yeah, it's it's coming, it's on its way. We've identified them and not damned yet, and it it's come to this transfer window, the whole Bellingham situation. You know whether or not he would have actually wanted to join Liverpool in the end because they went in the cha- in the Champions League. We don't know. We don't know at all. Um, but if it comes round to the next summer transfer window and they still haven't got this investment, then it's going to be a bit difficult because we don't know what situation Liverpool will be in there. So I think it's kind of on them now. They're the ones that have said, yeah, we're not open for a full sale, which they kind of won't say they rode back on, but certainly that kind of initiative of a game, they kind of like backtracked on or made sure that people didn't think that was the case. But they have said they're looking for outside investments. You've seen that United. Still haven't sold the club. And, you know, that's again, it's been on about the same amount of time, seven months. And there's a very, very small pool of people who can afford top level Premier League clubs, as, as, as United are finding out. And so to try and get the right ones, and it's difficult. FSG probably realised that. That's why they want the outside investment. There's a kind of a sense of having the cake and eating it because the, you know, I would assume they would still want to remain, you know, in control. And it's like, yeah. what reward yeah. is it for the people who, who are investing? Well, they can just say, well, look, we took over the club in this state. It's now this state. It's now, what was it? The fifth most valuable brand? Or it depends who you believe, doesn't it? I don't necessarily think that Man City are the most valuable club in the world, to be honest. I think uh, a valuable club brand, which, which is yeah. different to valuable and same as the different brand as well. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's uh, and Anyway, the point being is that Liverpool are in the top five wall of these lists. And they've never really been consistently up there in the past. They've sorted the commercial side out. They can just say to them, look, we've done this. We can get you a guarantee on your investment. And I think the one thing that the most critical people of any club owners don't quite accept is what's the best way 
and making a club more valuable by winning stuff. So it's counterproductive if you do not invest in the squad, in the team, yeah. and then if everything else surrounding that. Because if you're winning stuff or challenging stuff, because as Theo said, you can't always win everything. If you're challenging for stuff and you're winning the odd thing and you're up there and you're always competing, you get to finals, everybody's happy. And of course, then the investor will be happy as well because the value of the club will be going up. Yeah, I think I think if your biggest sole issue with your owner, the owner of the club you support is the fact that you're perhaps just not spending enough at certain points, I think ultimately you've got to consider that landscape as, as a healthy one because, okay, well, Liverpool could have done more last summer, should have done more of it here than wherever. There's, everything else is, is in place, isn't it, as a, as a football club? Self-sustainable, still one of the biggest clubs in the world, always in the mix for all these kind of Forbes valuations list and whatever else comes out on the business side of things. So I think there's a lot more good than, than bad, as I said. The other thing on that, let's just say, for example, I suddenly get £3 billion and go, right, I want to take on Liverpool. You go in and you go, well, I'm not actually going to change anything. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not going to change anything. There's just a bit more money to spend on the team. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. So the focus here is win a few more trophies, which does bring us on to the next question. What should Liverpool be aiming for silverware-wise in the Premier League? Should they take the Europa League seriously? All these combined into one. Next I think the Europa League seriously, yes, to a point. I think, this, as we've said before, I think they'll use the group stage to give younger and fringe players a chance. When it gets to the latter stages, it depends on how things are going with the Premier League, the competition, so we can't be guessing much on that one. Um, from what we're led to believe, the new champions, well, we know that the new Champions League revamp that's happening the following season. So the qualification for that means that there are two extra spaces for the two countries that are the highest coefficient, and it would take an absolutely monumental collapse of all the English teams in the competition, all the European competition next season for it not to be England. So it means well, that's why Newcastle have qualified, so you never know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so the top, that's the top five are likely to qualify for the Champions League next season. So... I would set the first target is getting to that top five because I think you're seeing with Arsenal, you're seeing Man United, you're probably going to see with Chelsea this season, uh, next season, that you can have a season outside the Champions League. It's if it becomes a more regular thing, that's when issues happen. I know I've just mentioned Arsenal, they had a couple of years out of it, but you know, I'm pretty sure that once they get back into it, suddenly not, it's, everything's okay again, you know what I mean? It's like it, it hasn't made as much an impact because if it would have done, then they wouldn't have been challenging for the title this year. They weren't even in Europe yeah. all the other years. So, while some fans are worried about the home, the knock-on effect of not being in the Champions League, one season shouldn't make that much difference, I think. And I think that the time is going to be get back into that and possibly pick, pick up a couple on the way, but certainly get to a final. Yeah. I don't, I don't know whether it's too much of a leap to, to go from fifth to challenging Man City once more. Or once the other way. The thing is, Man City probably think that Liverpool is going to be challenging next year. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say that, you know, I'm expecting Liverpool to, to just go straight back to, to those levels and being City's closest challenger, but I suppose we'll only find out in the coming months. But certainly, you know, the Europa League should be taking it seriously. Um, you can still get through the group stages by using, not necessarily your, your League Cup fringe fringe players, but, you know, the likes of Joel Matip and Joe Gomez and Curtis Jones and Darwin Nunes, maybe Luis Diaz, you know, you can certainly get through the group stages without too much of an issue, I'd suggest, in the Europa League. 
and then we'll revisit this yeah. in December. <laughs> from Christmas onwards, you've got a little bit more of a handle on what's happening in the league and whatever else happening, and then you can really start to, to weigh it all up. But uh, we'll see. Let's see. And then Liverpool can kind of make another giant step forward after the giant step backwards. This could be the first normal season about four years. Yes, as well. Because obviously 1920 interrupted by COVID. 2020, sorry, 2021 was out in one of the stadiums. 2122, there was still that kind of lingering where players were missing out and, and some, you know, some grounds weren't as full as others. And last season, this season just got had a big World Cup mm-hmm. bang in the middle of it. So this could be a season where, I'm not saying things go back to normal because what is normal, but I think we'll get a better idea where everybody is, all the teams, all the clubs, how the state that they're in this season as opposed to probably the last two or three. Well, with the Europa League, it is a way into the Champions League as well. And you look, is it Brighton and West Ham now are joining them? Yeah. They are the strongest team in that competition. So that is that way into the Champions League. But with trophies, um, if Simmons will win everything, can Jurgen Klopp complete the set with the Europa League? Or will, can he win one trophy next year? You said that's this year. I said they should look, be looking to win one, yeah. I think so. Which one? I won't know. Season was, this one hasn't even officially finished yet. <laughs> you love questions looking at the future, asking you know my thoughts on this. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if Liverpool won something next season. That is a positive compared to what you were saying this time, I suppose, nine months ago, ten months ago. Well, there you go. If, yeah, keep that record going. Yeah, then. if your prediction's being accurate, we'll, we'll take that a trophy this yeah, year. I'd love to see Liverpool in the Europa League. Uh, well, I started when it was 2001, wasn't it? The, the old UEFA Cup, yeah. yeah. Came close in 2016, but for a second half in Basel. Um, it's just, have they got the... Um, the fortitude to, to dig in and get through what is a difficult period in the group stages, I guess. Uh, it's only when the you know, league gets to the last stages and starts looking a bit glamorous. Those days, you know, like Tawai and Norway and our five kickoff or whatever it may be, it's, you know, they're, they're tough, aren't they? If um, you're not playing your strongest 11, which you'd imagine you're not going to be doing. Also, it depends when Subi you're going to drop into it. Yeah, that was about <laughs> to consider when Liverpool lost them in 2016. If they'd won, they'd have gone level as the side who was most successful in the competition. I think Seville have won out three or four times since then, haven't they? It's a very specific skill that they've got to not be good enough to get out of the Champions League groups, but to still be good enough to always compete in the Europa League. You've got to have a certain standard of not being particularly amazing, but still being quite good. Mm. And there's also still that record of it's only Spanish teams that not live pull out in yeah. Europe under yeah. pop. At least they won't face Real Madrid this year, you'd like to think. Oh, is it? Too belly, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got just one question left, and this is a, a big one for you to predict. Will Jurgen Klopp win the Premier League or Champions League again during his Liverpool reign? Ooh, that's a fantastic question, isn't it? Uh, if, okay, let's put it this way. If, that's, that's ghosty. <laughs> I'm trying to win my... Yeah, I you know what? I actually think for all the for all the you know Klopp is known as one of the best managers around. I still think he's overlooked for his European pedigree. Um, got to the Champions League final with Dortmund, then he he got to the Europa League final with Liverpool. He's got to three Champions League finals in Liverpool and won one of them. So I think you've got to be confident that Liverpool can get back in the Champions League. That they'd have as much chance as anyone else to, to win it. You know, if they they do beef up the squad like we're hoping. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say he can win a seventh European Cup. Uh, what I would say is there's a lot of intrigue over Manchester City and uh, and how things might pan out for them in the next couple of years. So I think Liverpool might be as well-placed as any to take advantage of anything if situation changes at the Etihad. I suppose Liverpool in Europe, there's always been mitigating circumstances for 
why it hasn't gone all the way in those years they're falling short yeah the odds seem to be better <laughs> that, that's the, the starter point Play, played around with it in the, in the training ground you mean yeah. like, stop playing around with it in the training ground Salah the, the weird COVID game the weird COVID game Salah getting injured Carrius having a concussion um, the fans not being there in Paris last year there's always these sort of things that they haven't given Liverpool that 100% chance to have a go Apart from 2019 in Madrid, it was because it was a billion degrees, and it's because we played Tottenham. It was another English team they were up against, so that helped. Because they would, they would have been interested to play the Spanish team there. It's not going to be a billion degrees in Dublin next year. No, it is not. Although it's quite warm there today. It's quite warm there at the weekend as well. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, I was yeah. indeed getting a, a little uh, preview of what it could be like next May. Did you have a drink? I had a few. <laughs> I was wearing a, a lovely rainbow vest and was it like Shell Yeah, yeah. You, you were you were was it were you friends with one of them? Yes, the bass player, yeah. That's good with them. There was a little, little bit of knowledge there for everybody. This is a weird way to end it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought we're everything we're everything for all the people. <laughs> um so yeah, if you've liked these answers and you want to have a go yourselves, there is a link somewhere. It's either in the description or on the screen now. I can't see it on my screen because I'm not watching it on Facebook. We don't want to hear ourselves talk, and it'd be a bit weird for the quality. But yeah, go and dig it out. It's somewhere on the website, somewhere on YouTube, somewhere on Facebook. And we will be back as normal tomorrow. The Blood Red Podcast. Is it? Are we on Thursday? You're on Friday. Yeah. yeah. So probably repeat all of this on a Alexis McAllister again tomorrow. But yeah. Um, have your say. Oh, the link is up now. Have your say here. This is the link. Bitly. Oh, I can point that. There we go. This looks very professional, doesn't it? Never get a job in television. <laughs> That's why I'm a writer. <laughs> but yeah, well, we will uh, be here again tomorrow. <laughs> I'm getting distracted here. We'll be here again tomorrow for Blood Red Podcast Friday edition, where we'll talk Alexis McCaster and anything else that breaks in the next 24 hours. Watch anything that's on our YouTube channel. It's brilliant. Stick to the website. <laughs> but pretty much all the McAllister reaction you can think of with plenty more to come. We have been busy this week, even though you haven't seen it quite yet. And that's it now. Until next time. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.